What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. So today I'm so excited that we have Stephen from the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Cleveland, Ohio. I can't think of a better interview to have right before Samhain. So thank you, Stephen, for being here and welcome. Oh, really excited to be here. It's right before Samhain, so of course everything's getting uh, picking up every moment of every day. But you know, I do want to remind everyone, Halloween is for tourists. The rest of the year is just as witchy. Yeah, I actually feel sorry for my friends in Salem because they have a hell of a time in October. And they can tell people like, hey, you could come here at any point in the year. Please don't come in October. So I mean, I always think that Beltane is the witchiest of holidays. So it's, uh, I think that would be a good time to go to Salem or anywhere else. Here I am, a center of witch tourism in Cleveland, Ohio. Who would have ever thought that was possible? But we've manifested it. We've made it happen. So tell me a bit about the history of the museum. How did it start? Uh, So, see, our founder, Raymond Buckland, who is a very uh, well-known author on witchcraft, he came to the United States in the early 60s with his wife, Rosemary. He started working as a copywriter for British Airways. He was making some dough. He was learning how to write professionally, but there was something missing, something spiritual. He was really influenced through his family ties. His grandmother, well, she taught him how to read tea leaves when he was eight years old. Then it was crystal balls, tarot cards, which I always say, uh, cool grandma. Mine taught me how to make banana bread. His uncle is a spiritualist. So Ray was going to seances at an early age learning how to peer across the veil. He gets his first Ouija board when he's 12. He's one of those kids, probably not going to grow up to be a Presbyterian. He seeks and he discovers the work of Gerald Gardner, the founder of modern Wicca. They start a correspondence. Gardner invites Ray for initiation. And it's, um, it's very sweet when you look at Gardner's life and you look at Ray's and you compare the two of them. You can see that, you know, Gardner was a writer on witchcraft. Ray wanted to be a writer on witchcraft. Gardner had a witchcraft museum. Ray wanted a witchcraft museum. Gardner had his own tradition of witchcraft, Gardnerian witchcraft. Well, Ray formed uh, CX Wicca, which is his tradition of witchcraft. And it's really pretty sweet to see just uh, how Ray really emulated Gardner in many ways. So Ray had founded a museum in the early, uh, in the mid 60s. It was just in a basement in Long Island, very DIY, just a few cluttered shelves really. And then eventually grew it to a, um, you know, physical location outside of the home for a number of years. So we have that collection on display here at the museum, as well as uh, we occasionally pepper it with some things of, uh, other witches who uh, we always feel that Ray would have, you know, we're always respectful of Ray's vision when we add things to his collection. And how did you get involved with the museum? So let's see. I was working for a uh, tourist establishment here in the Cleveland area. And um, one that, uh, well, I guess I could say it's long uh, I've long not been involved, but I used to work at a Christmas story house. And if you've ever seen the film, A Christmas Story, very popular Christmas Day movie, 
the uh, house that they filmed it at is here in the Cleveland area. It's um major tourist attraction here. A lot of people have a lot of attachments to that film. Uh, maybe a 90,000, 100,000 guests a year. I was working in the marketing department and I was also the curator of the museum. So I took care of, uh, you know, certain uh, magical pieces from the collection. The uh, Randy snowsuit was my favorite. And then we also had uh, Ralphie's BB gun on display as well as uh, uh, Scott Farkas, the villain of the film, his fox fur hat. So I was the curator of the museum. I was taking care of that. And just one day, uh, you know, there's a moment when you think to yourself, this isn't really me. And, you know, I kind of go through a list of things in my head. Well, what is me? And I've always had a lifelong interest in the occult and witchcraft. So I reached out to Raymond Buckland, whatever happened to your collection? I thought that I would just send an email that would go into a spam folder. Well, here we are about five years later. So this is always my advice to people. You get a weird idea, send that email, you never know what's gonna happen. Wow. What do you like the most about working at the museum? Oh, yeah. I, probably my guests. I get the, um, I always think that I get the coolest guests that come through Cleveland. You can't walk into a witch museum without at least an open mind. So the guests, the families, people that return, I've learned so much from my guests. And, uh, you know, I've seen people grow in their own practice. So I think that is probably my absolute favorite. And, you know, you'll hear that with people that own more traditional like witch shops. that They do it because of uh, the community that kind of surrounds them. And... Uh, that really is probably the thing that I'm up, I really cherish the most is the relationships that we've built here. Other than that, it's just really, um, you know, if I could go back in time, talk to myself as a kid and say, hey, one day you're gonna operate a witchcraft museum, showing the world magical artifacts. You know, I would have uh, probably had much less dread going into adulthood, <laughs> you know? This way I get to keep that, uh, just that kind of like magical imagination that you tend to lose when you're, uh, you know, somewhere between what, nine and 11. That sounds about right, yeah. Would you say that most of your guests are witches, non-witches? Do you know, do people even tell you like, I'm a witch when they come in? Uh, it really depends. Some people are de declaring their witchiness when they're within a block of the place. Other people kind of give me a wink on the way out, and say, thank you for this. I've been practicing witchcraft for 40 years. Other people are just very interested. Um, you know, we get a lot of looky-loos, people that are just like, you know, I've been to Cleveland three times, I've been to the Rock Hall, I've been to a Christmas story house. What else is there? Oh, witch museum, let's go check that out. So uh, really just kind of a broad section of society. You know, like in the last 10 years or so has been the explosion of like the oddities and curiosities uh, collector and market. So, you know, you may not be into being a witch, but you may be interested in seeing some strange taxidermy or, uh, you know, just things of note. So. Has working at the museum um, influenced your practice at all? Uh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Now I uh, actually consider myself a very proud Wiccan, where before I was more of just a, a general occultist animist. And I spent a lot of time around Gerald Gardner's Monique Wilson, um, who was uh, Gardner's high priestess, Lady Olwen, of course, Raymond Buckland, Rosemary Buckland, Robat and Rowan. Spending some time around their pieces really kind of filled my head with the beauty of uh, Wicca. So now, like clockwork, approximately every six weeks, we do a ritual here. It's my assistant and I, and sometimes my spouse and her partner will join us. And, uh, you know, we follow Ray's complete book of witchcraft, his book. And we do the rituals for the turn of the wheel of the year. And uh, it's just really extraordinarily rewarding. I think it's fantastic that you mentioned the book. We discussed that book, I think season one. Yeah, season one. Because we love the book. It's a fantastic book. And, you know, and I wonder sometimes if people, because there's so much out there, if people pick up the book and go, does anybody really use it? So to hear you say, right, somebody who's... Oh, yeah well-versed in what Raymond Buckland was all about to say, yeah, this book is useful. I think me has more weight than I think any other witch saying this book is useful. So I think it's great that you said that. Well, you know, I have the uh, joy before I give my tour and before my assistant gives their tour, I say to everyone that comes in, um, yeah, have you ever heard of our founder, Raymond Buckland? And probably about like 20%, 10% of the guests, say yes and then you know smaller amount of people know the book but the people that do have such a um attachment to the book and they tell me the wonderful stories about when they first experienced it i always tell this one just because it gets a laugh i had a guest a few months ago they saw the book and they said buckland i knew that same name sounded familiar and i said okay sounds like you have a story to share I remember shoplifting that book when I was 15 from the Beat Altons in Middleburg Heights. And I just let, you know, kept an eye on her in the gift shop, you know. But what can I say? I mean, witchcraft, the occult has such a uh, tie to the teenage experience, right? Where you're seeking and learning and filling your head with stuff. So I hear, I've heard a couple versions of that stories, but usually it's much more like, you know, I walked into a Walden Books one day and there it was and I bought it and I had to hide in my closet, but I would read it. Um, that was, that's one version of it. Another one uh, given to people by a beloved family member. So uh, it's uh, a lot of people have personal attachments to that book. You can't have something that's been, uh, you know, continually in print for what's been 35 years um, and, uh, you know, 600,000 copies floating around without people having a strong attachment to it. Yeah, I think that, that I can definitely attest to that. I, I have a very, I, I've never bought another copy. My copy's all like beat up from okay. the year, but it's, it's my copy. Like it's, it, like you're right, you form an attachment, not just to the writing, but to the actual book that you bought. Like this book means something to you, even just physically having it, you just feel so happy that you found the book, that it found you, and that it helped you so much to either start out or deepen your practice or whatever. So yeah, it, it's, uh, 
it's something that we, we did right in the beginning because we feel it's so influential, especially here in the U.S. I think a lot of um, witches, and I don't know if this is true in Ohio, but I feel like a lot of witches in uh, New York, they feel almost like, you know, they have to live up to or they can't live up to, so they're going to reject what's British traditional Wicca, right? So having somebody that can kind of turn to and say, yeah, this person studied that, but came here, you know, was all about here. And, you know, it kind of almost validates um, the practice that they have, because I think that there has been a shadow of, you know, the Brits. I don't know if that, if you guys feel that over there at all. Yeah. Yes and no. I, I, get, um, I get a lot of Gardnerians that come here. Um, and it's really wonderful to share with them pieces of their like direct lineage, which is always really moving. But you know, not everybody is cut out for coven work. And I have found that like people like Scott, Scott Cunningham, Raymond Buckland really coming up with like systems for people to kind of explore uh, the mysteries through a Wiccan framework is uh you know something incredibly american <laughs> you know it's uh it's like herding cats right <laughs> yeah um what is the one piece that people get really excited to see or really amazed to see in the museum so if, when you walk into the room that the collection's housed and the first thing that you see is ray's ritual robe and we have it illuminated in a very beautiful way People always get very excited when they, uh, you know, see a ritual robe right there on display. But I think the thing that I point out with the most passion and excitement would be the crescent moon headdress, the circlet, the ritual headdress as worn by Lady Rowan, which is, uh, you know, the sign of authority for a Wiccan high priestess. See the first American Wiccan high priestess's ritual circle it on display um that is something that's uh people of all genders always wonder you know what would this look like on my head so that's that is uh that's one of them and one piece that i always love sharing with my guests because it has a pop culture tie and let's face it witchcraft has such a strong attachment pop culture is our mandrake root now if you remember your harry potter of course the mandrake root, as well as um, uh, there's one in Pan's Labyrinth, but for every 50 people that I talk about Harry Potter with, we talk about Pan's Labyrinth maybe once or twice. So um, the mandrake root gets people really excited. And to me, it's really our key piece in a lot of ways, because I mean, we have things that Ray had collected that were, you know, just, ancient but this it's over 200 years old it's carved as a fertility totem it would have been used by uh you know the people i consider the true wicca the wise person at the edge of town right the one that you go see because you have a wart my mom said you could help said i'll never get a date with the with this thing you know mom mom sends you over there they help you with your wart well, you get your date. Um, a couple of years later, you go see them because you had bought a farm. Somebody's got to plow the fields. You know, no kids are happening. They pull this out. Presto, change you're impregnado. So mode it be. Um, 
Southern Mandrake root is uh, such such an important part of the collection. Plus, we have a wonderful photo of our uh, founder holding it, which makes it uh, even you know even cooler. So, what pieces? So you say you took what he had, and you kind of built the museum around it. Yeah. Um, you say you also go with his vision. Is the museum strictly just Wiccan artifacts, or are you expanding to incorporate other types of witchcraft, as long as it's all witchcraft? Um, it's actually always not um, been specific to Wicca. For example, we have pieces that belong to the beast himself, Alistair Crowley, that Ray had collected. And, uh, you know, there, of course, is a Wiccan connection with Crowley because uh, Gerald Gardner, some people think this is a controversial statement, but it's absolutely not. Um, he learned quite a bit from his time studying from Alistair Crowley. So it makes complete and total sense to have Crowley pieces in this collection, even though very non-Wiccan. But um, Ray collected pretty much anything related to witchcraft, herbalism. So there's really not a lot. We even have a uh, membership card to the Church of Satan that Ray's uh, friend gave him. And, you know, I always have to explain to my guests when they come in that uh, although I always enjoy my Satanist guests that come in, they're always very respectful. They're always very curious, always very cool. But we don't consider what we do as Satanism whatsoever. And uh, it's just, it's not the same thing. And, uh, you know, we're always willing to discuss Satanism with our guests, but it's absolutely not. But uh, Ray did have some Church Satan membership cards that he had acquired from his friend Ed Stitch. So pretty, pretty broad what we'll uh, present. I think um, probably my most, uh, let's see, We've got some really beautiful pieces recently. Uh, we have a staff that was owned by Oberon Zell Ravenheart. Its name is Pathfinder. A lot of people know Oberon because, well, I mean, he's been in this for forever. I mean, he, he was one of the people that created American neo-paganism as we know it. And um, so we have a staff Pathfinder and it has a place of utter importance in the, uh, in the display. Let's see. I recently acquired last year a piece that was uh, created by H.R. Giger, the Swiss occult artist most known for the creator of the uh, xenomorph monster in the film Alien. And uh, so, you know, we pepper it with things here and there. Uh, I think one of my favorite things uh, was our first donation from anyone in the new creation. So I'm partners with um, woman named Tony Rotunda and she is actually the owner of the artifacts where I own the business and she has quite the list of people that she's always uh talking to and uh well, we have Christopher Penzak's first uh ritual uh affame or a fame or a thame you know tomato tomato etc but his ritual dagger um, yeah, so there's quite an assortment of things that are coming in at all times. I think my absolute favorite of the new pieces is probably always going to be Leo Martello's altar we acquired last year. If you don't know Leo Martello, really need to study up on this guy. Truly the first 
social justice witch in America. And uh, let's face it, social justice is always going to be part of witchcraft. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's just kind of a no brainer. So uh, we have his ritual. Uh, uh, looks like his cursing altar. All the clues kind of point to that. Now, can I swear on this podcast here? Yeah. Okay, because we have an envelope. I've never opened it. It's been opened already, but I haven't pulled the pages out. And uh says right there in bold letters, assholes who do evil. So uh, Leo's keeping a list. And if you're here, probably you look like you're over the age of 13 and you're not here with your mom, I'll probably pull it out and show it to you. But. Well, that's cool. Um, is there anybody, is there any witch that you like are longing to have a piece of something of theirs? Is there anybody you wish you had? Oh yeah. I mean, the list is pretty long, but number one would have to be Doreen Valiente. Um, to have a piece of Doreen and talk about her uh, contribution to the craft as we know it. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be really wonderful. And if anybody out there knows uh, anyone associated with Margot Adler, the writer of Drawing Down the Moon, she, uh, to me, Adler really represents the very notion that you can uh, have live in, you know, I guess uh, the muggle world, right? And, uh, you know, find great success with that while also be very proudly pagan. Where would you like to see the museum? in the future? Like, where would you like to see it go? Ah, at this point, more parking. <laughs> more parking would be wonderful. And uh, just maybe a little bit more space. Um, we do a lot of exhibits, rotating exhibits. Uh, I work with an art dealer in uh, New York, Stephen Romano, quite a bit. And he has been very generous in uh, loaning out pieces. We currently have an exhibit going on right now. Uh, the occult works of Bert Schonberg, who was a, a bohemian beatnik artist. And uh, but we're very limited on that sort of thing because of our physical size. So, um, you know, I, I need to grow. I need to be about twice the size that we are now physically. It's just been very difficult to find uh, a location to move to in the Cleveland area where um, the buildings are either like massive old uh, factories that would be impossible to convert or uh, storefronts about the size of what we have right now. So my future really uh, depends on if we can ever find a location to grow on. But if not, very happy showing the collection the way it is now you, i've noticed on the internet because um, i follow you guys and you're constantly sold out which is awesome it is but i mean let's put it this way it's uh <laughs> two thousand square feet it's not that hard to fill up with people so um because of covid uh we restricted our tours and uh i learned something from that that people have a much better experience when the place isn't packed with people. Now it's structured where uh, every hour and a half, we start a new tour. People could come and check out the gift shop if they want, but 
uh, can't get into the SEVA uh, collection. And that really just has to do with the fact that, um, uh, A, I don't want to outbreak at the Witch Museum. It's, uh, leave that for the other guys. So A, no outbreaks at the Witch Museum. B, just the feedback I've gotten from guests, just having a much better experience where you can be with the collection, spend time with the collection, absorb the collection without uh, people being on top of you. And it admittedly, it, uh, this does stir up drama. People travel from long distances and uh, get very upset. I'm like, sorry, you can't come in. I'm, I'm sold out. I, uh, I have to stay late because somebody else begged me and that now my extended tour is sold out. I'm very sorry. So uh, I'm pleading with the, you, the audience, the world, do your research before you travel. And uh, don't, um, just because something wasn't sold out an hour before, you know, doesn't mean that there's not somebody else um, looking to get the slot that you're buying for. It's, uh, yeah, do your research on everything that you do, right? Before you perform magical acts, do your research. Make sure that you're not going down a path of madness. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, who goes to the movies and gets really upset that the movie's sold out? Other people want to see the same film that you do. Right. Um, have you had anybody who that has really come to the museum looking for guidance, looking for help? And if so, how do you deal with, how do you help people? If I can, I do. If I can't, I say, I don't know. And, uh, you know, that's the thing is everybody wants you to be a complete expert on all different forms of the occult and magic. And I mean, Scorpio, Gemini, you know, this, it's impossible to cover every facet of this. There's certain areas of the occult that I've never even like read a, uh, you know, brief paragraph on just because it's so vast. It's so impossible to know it all. So um, generally what happens is I'll get a message. Somebody has hexed me. Well, you know, there's certain ways, you know, there's checklists that you can go through and figure out if somebody really has hexed them or if they're just uh, an unlucky person, which unfortunately in the world, there are just many people that just uh, through whatever happens, they just draw draw it upon themselves. Um, so, you know, you kind of go through that checklist there. And if there seems to be something to it, I do have a network of people that I tend to refer people to. If it's not something that I think that a, uh, you know, a talisman of protection or, you know, even just a simple, like, um, you know, just a simple thing can help clear up people that I'm always willing to call upon to help other people and they're always willing to. I get a lot of messages though of people that uh, need help and uh, trouble is, is that that's not, we don't really have the bandwidth to do that full time. I think everybody who's out there in the community, um, there's gonna be people that are gonna see you as, you know, 
this person can help me. This person absolutely knows everything and what to do. I think I, we've, I've said it in a different podcasts, you know, people will say something, you know, Gemini's really into astrology. I don't, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm lucky that I know my sun sign, moon sign and rising sign. And that's it. And I know all this because she's told me stuff about it, but people, right. my boyfriend is a ta- Taurus, you know, son with a this and that. And I look at them and I go, what does that tell me? Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know anything about that. You know? Um, yeah, we all definitely have our own, our own things. So if that's the case, what would you say your niche is? What, do, what, what have you studied the most that you feel most comfortable? Just general Western uh, ceremonial magic is one thing that I really enjoy studying and learning about. And also just general uh, witchcraft, contemporary witchcraft. I get, there's, there's reasons why we have museums, uh, you know, things in Salem explain like what witch hunts are. Well, let's face it, there was very little real witchcraft going on in Salem up until maybe 1970 or uh, when Lori Cabot really, uh, really started uh, going there. So I, I get kind of not that excited about that sort of thing, but I'm very, very, very excited about the, uh, you know, the neo-pagan movements of the last 80 years or so. So Gemini, is there anything you would like to add before I keep going? I think for me, what I'm most interested in is, I guess, kind of your experience as running this and getting in touch with people. I know you've talked about the pieces that, you know, the guests are really into, but what was your favorite piece, you know, when you started and has it changed now? Are there certain pieces that you have like a really strong connection with? Yeah, I have a strong connection to pretty much every piece in the collection. Um, I think one that I really love the most because my mother had pointed out at our opening was Sybil Leak's Crystal Ball. And I look at Sybil Leak's Crystal Ball and then I uh, see my mother's moment of understanding. Sybil Leak, I remember her from being on the Dick Cavett show. This is what you have here. And not just some strange hodgepodge of stuff that, uh, you know, I put on uh, like some kind of carnival barker, maybe. I'm not sure she knew what I was getting into. But uh, seeing the moment of understanding and recognition from my mother when she recognized that piece, really for important attachment to it, to me. That's a fun story to tell my guests as well. And uh, the first words that Raymond Buckland ever said to me were jokes. So he was a very funny, generous person with his time. And, uh, you know, we laugh a lot here in this collection. And uh, one person, you know, the, the thing about when you have a writer, a well-known writer, so beloved, people maybe take ownership of the person with the idea that uh, I've been reading Raymond's Buckland, Raymond Buckland's books since I was a teenager. I am the authority of who he was. I never met him, but I'm the authority, right? Yeah, so, you know, you tell some jokes in here, and they're like, well, got to take it much more seriously. Well, you know, Ray wrote half the dumb jokes I tell, so it's, uh, yeah, actually, I am taking it very serious. He was very, he told me a number of times to be very careful, because you can come across as this Lord of the Abyss, this uh, dour occult uh, entity, you know, living in the shadows when, uh, you know, that's 
nobody wants to be around that. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you gotta take life seriously, but you can also laugh while you're doing it. Absolutely. What's the one thing you want people to really take away when they visit? What's the one thing you hope that they, they've taken away from the experience? Uh, that there's personal stories attached to all these things, that the people, the, um, the witches that maybe they're concerned about are people. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that we do is maybe we pull the veil back a little bit and uh, maybe demystify some of it, but also remind people that the people that they get freaked out about with witchcraft, etc., are people. And, uh, you know, you might have your heroes of witchcraft. When you come to the museum, I hope you realize that uh, they're just like you. So maybe you could go off and be somebody's hero of witchcraft in the future. I love that. I feel like that has to be like a, just a thing. We have to make that saying a thing. You know, everybody has a chance to be the hero of witchcraft to something else. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, yeah. And I guess we're seeing it today with like uh, TikTok stars, right? Witch talk and all of that. It's uh, everybody can have a platform. Sometimes I worry about misinformation, but uh, I mean, I know that I must have filled my head with misinformation too. And somehow I've survived. I think it's because there was a time when we had to think critically about the information. I don't know that people do that so much with social media. Yeah. You know, I think that's the worry. Yeah. I, um, I think about this quite a bit. Uh, somebody asked me once and uh, they said, uh, so it seems like everyone in here is a writer. And, uh, you know, pretty much everyone we celebrate in here is a writer on witchcraft. And that's where the... That's where the superstars spring from, right? Or at least it was in the past. And I think that's such an uh, important element of uh, the type of people that get attracted to witchcraft and uh, get known for it. People that read, people that open up books, people that spend time with the material. Anything else, Gemini? Um, I guess the only thing that I would like to know is right at the beginning, you mentioned that you think Beltane is like the witchiest time to go uh, visit places. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. I think it's a very interesting take. Um, and I'd like to know, you know, your opinion. Why is Beltane so important? Why would you suggest people travel to which places during Beltane instead of Samhain? Uh, you know, I think it's something that dawned on me when I was watching the Wicker Man film. And I realized that the Wicker Man film is supposed to be taking place in Beltane. And then I thought about it and it's like, why? Well, this is the beginning of the time of the goddess. And, uh, you know, as a Wiccan, of course, I got a strong attachment to my beloved horn, the god of the witches. But I mean, let's face it, this is uh, strongly goddess-based. And Beltane being the time of that, I think, uh, I think that's I think that's where I've gotten in my head that Beltane is the uh, the wittiest of holidays. Okay, so let's. I think we need to start that. I think uh, Salem needs to see tons of people and Ohio during Beltane. I think we need to make that a thing now. Yeah, I I completely agree. That's I have a T-shirt that says Halloween is for tourists, and I quit wearing it because I think people thought I was like making fun of them, and I I really wasn't. I just thought it was a cute T-shirt. 
there's magic to be had throughout the whole year. New Year's Day, there's all sorts of rituals that people do. Of course, Christmas is, I mean, in my opinion, like the spookiest of all the uh, holidays, really. Yeah, summer solstice. There's time to have witchcraft. 20, you know, 365, 366 days a year. I find the summer solstice gets a lot of play here in New York. I think it's because it's finally warm out. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, it's not snowing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss New York summers. Those were fun. Cleveland summers are nice as well. You know, I, summertime here in Ohio, there's a lot of pagan festivals during summer. Go hang out with your friends, that sort of thing. And uh, we're now gearing up to spooky season. And I, my opinion, spooky season uh, officially begins when it doesn't break 75 degrees for about five days in a row. Because that is when people um, start thinking, hey, Halloween's around the corner. So we have a number of events coming up soon. Awesome. Gemini? Well, I think this is a perfect opportunity as we wrap up this interview to let us know any events that you'd like to share with our listeners, especially if you have something cool happening for Samhain. Um, because we want to make sure that they have information about you and that they can access the museum as easily as possible. All right. Well, of course, visit our website, bucklandmuseum.org. That's where you can get tickets to see the collection. People have already started buying tickets for Halloween Day. So there's that. Of course, our Facebook and our Instagram. I'm very active on our Instagram because, let's face it, my museum is a very uh, beautiful visual place so it's always fun to share those things as far as a halloween ritual or anything like that uh it's probably going to be a private affair this year again in the back of the museum here but uh other than that there's always something else to do it's uh we always have something going on here at the buckland museum of witchcraft and magic where magic comes alive on the west side of cleveland well, thank you so much, Stephen, for taking this time out and speaking to us. I know that everyone listening is just going to love this. And, you know, stalk them. He already told you. Website, Facebook, and especially Instagram. Stalk them. Ask questions. Get involved. Go see the museum. I know we have to do a road trip and go over there. You know, one thing I should have mentioned is uh, Amy Wilson, who was the person that put me in touch with the two of you. She donated some really, really extraordinary pieces um, to the collection um of old uh incense containers uh, herb containers that belong to the magical child which um is pretty much the first major witch shop in the united states it was uh, started off as the warlock shop in brooklyn heights 300 henry street then it made its way into manhattan and uh you know i just want to say a shout out to amy wilson and other worldly waxes and I just want to say thank you, Amy, for that. Thanks for putting me in touch with Scorpio and Gemini here. And I would also like to thank Amy for putting us in touch with Stephen Intermill, the director of the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft and Magic, because it would not have been possible otherwise. So this is so awesome that we got a chance to talk to Stephen, got to hear all about the museum. I think that there is definitely a witch space um, road trip in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, to visit him and see this great museum. And if you have the chance... To go, go, walk, do not run, do not walk, and uh, and see this. I think it's really cool, and it's great that 
uh, Raymond Buckland's dream, spirit, everything is just living on through these great people. Yeah, it's definitely something that you'll hear us talk about again. I can't promise you when, but you will hear us talk about again as soon as you know, it's safe to travel and we can get out and and go start doing visits again. I definitely want to see it for ourselves and get some pictures. Um, This was a really great interview. It was super fun to do and I'm super happy we got the chance to do it. So I will also say thank you, Amy, and thank you, Stephen. Before we sign off, there is a little secret surprise that we want to tell you. Uh, Scorpio has been working on something behind the scenes that might lead to some more things behind the scenes, but for Samhain, Scorpio, what are you dropping? So I don't know if anybody's really going to be interested in this, but if you like goth, then I've got a Spotify playlist that I really like. I play it all the time, but really for Samhain, I feel like it really gets into that um, for people who are horror fans as well. So here's the thing with Samhain. I love it for what it is. But, you know, I have to admit, I jump into the whole Halloween vibe. And I love the Halloween vibe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the movies that come out, like Halloween, Halloween Kills, I saw it when it came out. I love all this stuff. So I get more goth, I guess, maybe during Halloween time and winter time. And I have together a little playlist. So if people want to hear what I listen to, some of it's in Spanish, some of it's in English. Some bands you might know, some bands you might not. But hopefully you enjoy it. You're hearing this podcast drop on the full blood moon, which I believe is in Aries, which is, that's a lot of moon. And so we'll give you a day after this podcast, the Thursday after the full moon, we will be posting the link to Scorpio's Samhain goth playlist. And please let us know what you thought of the interview and also what you think of the playlist. And if that's something you might be interested in us doing more of, um, maybe get a Gemini version, maybe for more holidays. Let us know what you think. Yeah. And if you want to wait until October uh, 23rd, you can listen to it at the beginning of Scorpio season, which is everybody's favorite time <laughs> of the year. This is when I get really obnoxious and I send Gemini tons and tons of memes and I do nothing but talk about the fact that we are in Scorpio season. So please emotionally prepare our audience for us to become a meme account for the entirety of Scorpio season. <laughs> Because it's just going to be me posting the memes that Scorpio sends me. Can I tell you, I'm very happy. It's that time. And of course we're happy because we have the best listeners ever and the best audience. And we're so thankful that you guys give us the opportunity to do what we love to do. Thank you to Sean McShane for our intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us.